Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to. Because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from. Some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy. So we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Muddy Knees Media. Welcome to Series Linked in association with Paddy Power. I'm TV journalist Emma Bullymore and I'm joined as ever by Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Today we are joined by someone you'll definitely know off the telly, Adrian Childs. He's here to discuss his new exploration of the UK coastline. And of course, me and Jeffers will be leaving you with some top telly tips for the week ahead. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Jeffers, how are you doing? I'm struggling a bit today, if I'm honest, Emma. <laughs> Why is that then? Well, some of us had to work at the NTA, so I was working <gasps> quite hard in like a basement. I think you were doing all the drinking for us, so, you know, I'm struggling a little bit. How are you feeling? I was working extremely hard, talking to lots of people, watching Love Islanders get drunk. That is no <laughs> easy feat. Yeah, it was a good night. I mean, the, the winners are a bit repetitive, it has to be said, but it was a good, good evening. We're going to be chatting more about the NTAs later with Amy when she comes in. But first up, our special guest this week is a household name up and down the country, TV presenting legend Adrian Childs. Here he is discussing with us his brand new TV show, Our Coast, and much more besides. You're listening to Series Linked. Make sure you subscribe to the channel for the biggest TV interviews and to stay on top of all the best shows on the box. Click subscribe, takes two seconds. Our Coast is the latest iteration, new version, whatever you want to call it, of the programme Coast, which has been... uh, lapping the country for a good while now, uh, leaving quite literally sort of no stone unturned, and it's been brilliant. I've always watched it on and off. Our coast is slightly different in that, as well as the rocks and the beauty shots, you know, the amazing seascapes, landscapes, and the wildlife. The focus is very much more the, uh, more the people, so that's been the pleasure of it, and learning you know, what we can about people who, who live by the coast. It's been a pretty amazing experience, actually, in a way I didn't, I didn't expect it to be. Why did you fancy doing it? Of all those kind of programmes, it's the one that appealed to me most because, like, coming from Birmingham, the coast has always got a kind of a magic to it. You know, so you only ever go to visit. You'd go in the summer. You always associate it with happy times. As a kid, I was awestruck at the sight of the sea. And then it feels no different now wherever I go. I see the sea and I just thought, wow, it's really there. I'm lucky to be here. I haven't lost my appetite for it. I mean, when I went to university, it was the first day I came to London from Birmingham and I was surrounded with people, all my new friends were those who did happen to live by the sea all year round, some of them, you know, be it in the North East or in South Wales or on the South Coast. And 
And then, you know, get to know the bed and go and visit them. I think, what, you like you live here all year round? It just felt peculiar to me. <laughs> you know, I just thought, what, what's that all about? You know, the coast <laughs> is somewhere you go to, not where you come from. You know, I love walking. I'll do, uh, I'll do many hours walking along the cliffside, although making television, you don't tend to do long walks. Well, you do, but you're doing kind of shuttle walking. You're walking <laughs> up and down and up and down while I faff around with drones and cameramen scrambling up hills and God knows what else uh, to get the right shot. But I, I managed to get my steps in. But... You've mastered that wistful look into middle distance as you're <laughs> taking in I'm, the coast. I'm too, I'm too cynical to do that, really. <laughs> I, yeah, I've got that sort of 100-mile stare I can look at, but I'm only going to do it once, and if you don't get it, you don't get it. I can't do it again. But it looks like you still enjoy going out and meeting people. Cause... Yes, I do. I think that's kind of what it's all about. To get into this business in the first place, you know, as a journalist more than anything, you've got to be curious and you've got to be interested in people and interested in asking questions. Well, there's one woman in Port Patrick we met and she recognised me from Gower because I often go on holiday down to the Gower Peninsula in uh, South Wales. It's where my main love for the season came from. And she said, oh, I've seen you down there. I said, what are you doing here? I said, I decided I just wanted to walk around Britain. And I said, so what happened? She said, well, I just went one day. Left her husband there <laughs> and just carried on walking. And this was about a year down the line. And he was with her. You know, we'd popped up to see her, but sort of off she went. But, you know, we, we weren't quite geared up to make a film with her there and then. But that, to me, was, a, you know, a great story right there. And at one point in the opening episode, we've got you on a cruise ship. I'm yeah. disappointed you're not in the jacuzzi doing the interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that occasion, two of the sort of characters in it, we just met on the day. I mean, that I, I was just sort of messing around on the on the back of the boat. I looked across and there was this bloke with, you know, slightly receding, with long grey hair, sitting in this hot tub, looking out over Liverpool. I said, so what, what, what brings you here? And he turned out he was like Bulgarian. He had been a famous ice hockey player, but he was also quite political. And he became a political dissident. He escaped from Zhivskov's Bulgaria to Vienna somehow or something and sought asylum and then went off to New York and made his fortune. So, I mean, you know, where wow. else, where else, you know, that's the kind of fascinating random person you meet. And I said, there was a woman about his age next to him. I said, oh, is this your wife? Are you Bulgarian? And she said, no, no, I'm from Croydon. I, I don't know him. <laughs> we, just, we just met. There they were in the bath together. And after doing the show, does it make you think that you could one day go and live on the coast? Because you were talking about it being sort of a magical place. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you should say that. When I was about 40 four five or something I, I did my Achilles tendon in playing tennis and it was it was horrendous forever and in the, I ended up in front of London's finest foot surgeon who somebody I knew from in football had put me on to and he was from Pontadawe in South Wales I was talking to him and he about you know my foot and then about Gower and I loved it down there he said so were you thinking about retiring down there and it was actually dagger to my heart. I thought, well, yes is the short answer, but hang on, I mean, how old do I look? I know my Achilles is in bits, but, you know, I'm not thinking of retirement just yet. And then suddenly, like, I'm 53 in March. I thought, blimey, yeah, but, you know, we, we'll see. You know, my mum's Croatian, as, as you might know. I remember her dad used to say, my granddad in Croatia, always used to say, when you put your finger in the sea, you're connected with the whole world. You know, it's a kind of little thing that I heard him saying when I was four or seven or ten or whenever it was. And I just think... I just think, yeah, that's right, that's right. And I, just, I thought it very strongly here. I saw it's the time of Brexit and all the, you know, and, and all that. But, you know, you put your finger in the sea or your toe in the sea, wherever you are in this country, and you're connected with what surrounds that, the whole island, you know. It feels sort of more significant than it ever was. Almost everything you've ever done, Adrian, is that, you know, like you say, meeting people or going to different places 
because I wanted to go right back. And yeah. the first thing I ever saw you on was working lunch. I used yeah, to yeah. watch that with me. Daddy yeah. used to buy a few stocks in yeah. shares. And you, that was sort of meeting different people every day as well, wasn't it? And yeah, that, yeah. That was, was, am I right in thinking that was sort of your big break and quite a uh, good learning ground what, for you? It was certainly a break in that it was a, an absolute maverick who, who launched it, uh, the late Paul Gibbs who was a close friend of mine. When I came on work experience in 92, just having finished in uh, doing a little postgrad in journalism in Cardiff. And he sort of took a shine on me as a, you know, my work experience there for three weeks. And he gave me a researcher's job or production assistant or something. And then I went over to radio for a bit and I managed to get on air. And then he launched this programme, Working Lunch, and he just decided that he wanted me to present it. And everybody thought he was barking mad. (laughs) In, including me. And I certainly remember Tony Hall, who is now you know, the director general. He was head of news at the time. And I remember him saying to Paul, you know, he's a nice, he seems a nice kid, but you're completely mad. But, you know, then I did that then for... for 12, th- 12 and a half yeah, years, wasn't 12 it? and a half years, yeah. That was just all about... See, it was sort of about talking about business and money in a way for people who weren't interested in business. And it was put like that by another guy who I knew in the business department at the time, called Martin Shankerman, is a good friend of mine, and he said, I don't think it's going to work. Who wants? What's the point in a business programme for people who aren't interested in business? And there was an unarguable logic in that, but it kind of did work. So, And later, arguably, Match of the Day 2 was sort of a football programme when, for people who maybe weren't that interested in football, but could be slightly entertained by it, you know, it was... You know, it was less football-y, if I can put it like that. And what are your memories of those early days of the one show, before it was this staple that it is now? It was trying something completely new. It was sort of three or four weeks in August, so expectations are low anyway. We were in a sort of a porter cabin just outside the mailbox in Birmingham, but you you kind of had that feeling you were onto something. We had a guy following the figures, you know, almost minute by minute, this worked, that doesn't work. You know, I was torn between thinking he's a genius or he's just... He's making up complexities when there aren't any. You know, it was a bit like analysing football. It's, it's as simple or as complicated as you want to make it. But he seemed to know his onions. And he, I certainly thought he did know his onions when he started saying, hang on, we're onto something here. You know, he could see that we were keeping the audience we had. And he had certainly done enough by the end to, you know, justify coming back. And then, I mean, that was in August and it didn't launch till the following July. Peter Fincham, who was then controller of BBC One, asked me to do it. I remember Peter Salmon, who'd been his predecessor, said, he's got balls to do that. He said, I wasn't brave enough. I was never brave enough to do that. You're committing to 250 shows a year. Right, so if it doesn't work, you've got a massive problem. It's a bit like work at lunch, though. You say it shouldn't really work. You sort of say to someone, right, we're going to do three minutes on yeah. uh, how to avoid breaking your leg yeah. going down an escalator and then we're going to go to the hat factory yeah. in Blackpool and yeah. and we're going to have a Hollywood star on the sofa and it just yeah. it, it seems to be a greater than the sum of its uh, yeah. parts. But there were some sort of, sort of agonising moments but there are rare thing programmes that are sort of modelled like that if you like but most conversations are modelled if you're out with your mate you know you're having a long conversation in a pub or cafe whatever you know, even in a 20-minute casual encounter, you know, there'll be something very moving said, stroke upsetting, stroke concerning, and there'll be something very funny said, and then there'll be something intelligent said, and then there'll be something sort of trivial said, you know. So, you know, programmes very rarely mirror all that. You know, then you say of them, oh, we, we don't know what it is. You know, well, you don't go for a conversation with somebody in a pub and go, well, what is this conversation? Are we going to be serious? <laughs> Or are we going to be trivial? Are we going to be happy or sad? What are we going to be? You know, it didn't, it didn't work like that. It required a certain sort of deafness or sort of shamelessness in just, you know, linking from one thing to another. You know, you just come out 
something about squirrels or beavers or something, and there's Michael Stipe sitting there looking, <laughs> you know, absolutely bewildered. <laughs> then it just grew and grew. Well, yeah, I mean, you must have been amazed. Even though you had faith in it initially, it became so yeah. big. I mean, everybody wants to be part of a success. But, you know, it wasn't working launch that was the making of me, really. I mean, it was a break in that and got me on telly, and I was really proud of it. It was The Apprentice, actually, which was the tipping point. Because even though I was doing Match of the Day 2 then, I think I was. The You're Fired, the spin-off. The You're yeah. Fired, yeah. Yeah, because even with Match of the Day 2, I mean, that was that was something. But The Apprentice just sort of tipped it over. It, it always felt a bit, not an empty victory. I could never feel real pride. I think we did it really well, I think. As I mean, Sally Dixon, who, who produced it. We had, a, you know, we had a great time doing it and we did it, we did it really well and they were a great team. But at the end of the day, it was a spin-off from a programme, which was in itself a format brought in from elsewhere. But a massive programme. Yes, but it, yes. I remember sort of saying to Peter Fincher, he said, you don't feel, you know, it feels as if we're cheating a bit doing it. And he said, look, son, it, they all count. You know what I mean? <laughs> and if the goal rattles around the penalty area, goes in off your knee in the cup final, it's still a goal. You know, no, nobody's going to care. They'll, you know, they'll see it was your knee. It's your name next to the goal in 50 years' time. That was really good because that's kind of, you've got a bit more time and it's a live audience and, and all the rest of it. That felt, uh, you know, that, that felt very good. And you mentioned football. Um, a yeah. couple of years has passed now since obviously you, you used to do that on ITV and yeah. stuff. Do you look at that now as an exciting time? You've got to follow England round for a long time. How do you sort of look back on your um, ITV? I just, I found, I mean, the crack was fantastic going around all these amazing stadiums, you know, with, you know, really fascinating people. I mean, the crew were brilliant. There's some brilliant people who work for ITV Sport. But then the actual broadcasting of it itself, you know, for a Champions League night on ITV, you say hello, welcome to the, you know, welcome to Barcelona. What a night in store, you know, Bayern Munich are here. And then I go, Lee, what do you think? Roy, what do you think? Paul Scholes, what do you think? And then, thank you very much. It's time for a break. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Some shots we can talk over. Look who's here. Look who isn't here. Something funny, maybe. And into the four-minute ad break. And out the back, you might have a minute talking out of vision. I'll hand you to Clive Tilsley. And then, sort of bang on time, with like 10,000 Liverpool fans singing what I am or something from high up, in the, <laughs> high up in the stands, then absolutely bang on the second had to come out, you know. And there is you know, a skill I, in that, that though, was Adrian. That. Well, you're making a, what you're okay, saying, but no, but no, there's a skill in it. But that becomes like process, you know. That is that it's very difficult to shine. It's, it's just too formulaic. It, yeah, it's very. It's not, well, I suppose it's formulaic necessarily. I'm not complaining, but it was about being tidy and getting in and out at the right times and getting the words out in the right order which had never been my strong point, really. <laughs> and then the harder I tried to shine and make it different, you know, the more you can end up on getting people's nerves. And then I suppose the more I just played a straight bat, the less capable I felt of doing that. And I just sort of tied myself, I tied myself slightly in knots in the end. The tournaments were a different matter. Then that was brilliant, you know. There's, there's nothing like working on a, a tournament. And I was lucky. I did the Germany for the, the BBC and then... And then for ITV, did South Africa and Brazil. And in between, we had the Euros in Poland. So, I mean, that's a great joy then. The crack's fantastic. And you've got a bit more time on air. And you have more fun and everything. So that I found really enjoyable. But still, at the heart of it, we come off air. And then the following morning, said, oh, we got nine million for that last night. And the awful reality is those nine million would have tuned in for the game. All I'm saying is I couldn't take credit for that nine million. You know, you get 22 million for an England game at the World Cup, but 
you know, they haven't tuned in to watch you. You know, you can't lose sight of that. It was slightly different with the one show when, you know, when we hit five million, six million. I mean, it was a huge team effort, but, you know, we could take some credit for that. You know, so that feels more special. So when somebody says to me, I love your radio programme, I just want to hog them because I feel as if I've earned that. <laughs> if somebody goes, oh, much of the day, yeah. I mean, that's nice. But I haven't done it for like 12 years yeah. now or something. You, know, you, so, you must have been very satisfied with the reaction to your documentary about alcohol by that yeah, yeah. token then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, yes, that, I mean, that, was, that was sort of beyond my wildest dreams, really. I mean, I still, it was, it was on a hunch. It was literally just a hunch. And it was the, basically, the idea was that if you're a drinker, just because you're not drinking perno in the morning and not staying up half the night and waking up with sick down yourself or something, doesn't mean you're not alcohol dependent in some way. It doesn't mean you haven't got a problem. It definitely doesn't mean you're not harming your health. It turned out we were onto something then, and just so many people come up to me and said, oh, that man, you know, it really made me think you really helped me. I've got to tell you, just as many come up to me pissed in pubs go, oh, programme's great. <laughs> oh, Love that program. <laughs> well, good on you. You might slightly have missed the point, but, you know, it made people think a little bit. You definitely said at the time that it made you look at your own lifestyle. Yeah, it, yeah. it was a couple of years ago now, so has yeah. it had a bit of a long-term effect on you? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely yeah, I've definitely drunk less. I've definitely drunk much less, but that just came down to counting it. You know, I resisted counting what I was drinking for a long time. I vaguely knew I should do, and literally the first time I ever counted what I was drinking was the first day of filming, where West Brom had played. We were playing Liverpool, and it was a it was a lunchtime kick-off at home. And we were filming at sort of half ten in the morning in the pub, which in my normal routine, but, you know, not unknown. I had four pints of Guinness, which isn't unknown either. I mean, that, that's on the high side of what I drink before a game, but nevertheless. And then I didn't drink at all that afternoon. Then I came back to London. It was my mate's 40th birthday. So I had a, I don't know, some champagne or something when I got in there. Then I had a beer. Then I had a probably the best part of a bottle of wine, then another beer somewhere else. And I totted them all up in the morning. It was something like 38 units. And it didn't even feel a big drinking day to me. You know, I certainly wasn't drunk at any point. I thought, hang on a bit. This is, you know, this is dodgy. So, you know, the advice I give anybody, the absolute starting point is to count what you are drinking. And it's very easy to count, actually. It doesn't have to be bang on, but... So you, you still know, count every week now, do I you? I count every day, yeah. Right. I count, you know, I count every day. You know, the, it's like my conscience bleeps up at 11 o'clock every morning on the Drink Less app and says, hey, what did you drink last night? And it it sort of slightly keeps you honest. And finally, we always ask our guests what they like to watch on telly. Um, what kind of things would you sit and binge? Well, I mean, I like sort of the obvious stuff like um, Peaky Blinders and all that. I really enjoyed Succession. Derry Girls, I just, I just came across. I just think brilliant i just love straight down the middle documentaries the like of which we don't seem to make anymore just there doesn't need a presenter in it you know just you know a story told from the beginning and finishes at the end so i mean the best example of that is ken burns you know your series of 10 uh, programs on vietnam just brilliant and it's just talking heads great archive unbelievable archive, you know, recordings of conversation between Nixon and whoever in the in the White House and then, you know, these pictures of these soldiers and stuff in Vietnam just and all that. And there's no dicking around. It starts at the beginning and finishes at the end with all the context you want. I sat down with my 16-year-old daughter last year and I showed her the first one. And then I think I went out somewhere and I came back and she was on the fourth one, you know. So if you can hold the attention of a 16-year-old, with a straight-down-the-line documentary, you know, without turning it to some jeopardy, I'm going to find out about the 
Vietnam War and I'm going to do it by skateboarding the length of Vietnam or something. You know, you just, you know, you, you don't have to make it sort of too complicated. Well, a slight bugbear. So I think it's interesting to think about it. If you know, we worked in factual television or, or documentary, everything has got to be made very clear, you know, very signposting all the time. Now, I get that, right? You know, I don't want to be a clever dick and lose anybody. I want to tell the story. But, you know, all the time we've got to remind the audience what we're doing here, you know, you know, a bit like, you know, you do on commercial television, say, after the break, and then when it comes back after the break, you go you before five, the break. Yeah. But you kind of get that anyway sometimes, even when there's no adverts, you signpost all the way through. Now it's fine. If it's not done too much, I get it. However, this comes in an era when drama on the television is of absolutely Byzantine complexity. I mean, you know, you see there's a family <laughs> watching it. You've got every 15 minutes, you've got to stop it and have a, you know, and convene a family meeting to find out what, <laughs> hang on, what's going on now? So how come on, on one level with fiction, we trust the audience to be clever enough to work it out, you know, to really engage their minds and figure things out? But on factual television, we've just got to work so hard to, you know, spoon feed them to some extent. I don't know, which audience is it? You know, I like to think it's the one that can take a bit of complexity. Thanks to Adrian there. Our coast starts on BBC Two on Friday the 7th of February at 8.30. And of course, it'll all be up on the iPlayer afterwards. Right, time now to welcome back Amy Jones from Paddy Power, who is here with the latest odds to help us try and predict the future of the telly. Hiya, Amy. Hello, how are we? Oh, we're good. Yeah, we're good, thanks. So what have you got for us today? So this week we've got NTAs, obviously, I think they're becoming the world's most predictable awards. (laughs) And there's one award in particular, which is astonishingly predictable, I'm sure you can guess. And to Dex, award basically, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you might as well just put their name on it at this stage. So we've priced up the chances of them winning it again next year, which would be their 20th consecutive breast presenter year. And that is odds on 1 to 25. So basically, like about 100% chance. Any sort of more outside chances on the well, NTAs? So on the Ant and Debt thing, for them to win the award 25 years in a row is only 6 to 1, which is. Like nuts, that's kind of like unheard of. When you'd have to wait five, six years, obviously, to get your money back. Yeah, I mean, it's just bizarre just to even think that 25 years, six to one, 30 years is 10 to one. That, I mean, that's not even that much considering 30 years of the same award of the same two people doing the same two jokes. A good idea for next year might be for them to host the awards. I mean, I think David Williams did an okay job, but the ratings are already in. It was 3.8. It was down quite a lot on last year. I felt as well as having lots of the same winners, the, the sort of show itself was a little bit lacklustre or could just do with some more excitement or, you know, something different. And so I think it might be worth them hosting. I don't, don't know if, what, what price would that be for them to host it next year? Yeah, so it's pretty short price. And obviously, David Williams, like you say, got panned a little bit for last night. So it's six to one that they host next year. Quite decent, isn't it? That's a pretty good chance. You know, I'd take a six to one bet at that. So if David Williams doesn't come back and Ant and Deck don't want to do it, any ideas who might? Yeah, so David Williams, we've got him as massively odds on not to come back after that. He's one to six on. Um, the favourite actually to host it next year is Ricky Gervais. He's around two to five, and even Dermot to return he would be four to one. So still, that's pretty short. But yeah, Ant and Deck around six. Well, he came back to X Factor, so maybe he could come back to this. <laughs> and everyone was very excited to see the cast of Gavin and Stacey there. Any Gavin and Stacey related odds for us? Yeah, so obviously the big talk with Gavin and Stacey it will be whether or not they'll do another Christmas special, whether or not they'll come back for a full series. So 
off based off the odds, we don't think that by the end of this year there'll be another full series. That's thirty three to one, so pretty much looking at those odds, not a chance. And even by the end of next year, that's forty to one. But a lot shorter now. Sixteen to one is that there's another Christmas special at any time ever. No, this year. Okay. Yeah, and what about in general? Oh, I'd say that'd be even shorter. I wouldn't. I think I'd give two to one for that because I think after the success of last year and it was it went so, down so well, I think they'd want to come back for more personally. But I think sixteen to one might be worth a bet. Well, we had Ruth Jones backstage at the NTAs after they picked up their award, and the main question was just, is there going to be another one? Is there going to be another one? It was sort of the only question. All the cast there were saying, yeah, we'd love to do another one. There has to be one because it, it got 18.5 million viewers and that kind of thing. But um, Ruth was a little bit cagey. She was saying they need a bit of time. I think the difficulty is obviously James Corden's in America. He doesn't have a great deal of spare time as it is. So so I think, you know, 16 to 1 for a Christmas special is an OK bet. But I think much more likely that we'll probably get a Christmas special sort of in, in two years. That, that, that would be my bet, I think. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack. Ruby is the expert, Tom holds it together and Paddy, well, Paddy's funding the whole thing so he insisted that he gets to be involved. (laughs) The first episode is available to download now. That's almost it for this episode of Series Linked. But obviously, we can't let you go without telling you what we think you should be watching. So, Jeffers, what's caught your eye this week? It's a bit of a nostalgia fest for me here. I want to tip up This Life, which is coming back to Modern, BBC4. cutting edge. I love it. I don't know if it's just my memory, but I remember this being a really great, realistic sort of drama. It's, it's about five sort of law students and they're, they're just sort of well, graduates. They're just training to be lawyers. There's lots of parties, lots of booze, lots of uh, sort of one night stands. How old are they? It's just 30-something. Sort of late 20s, early 30s. It's all around sort of a Britpop. It was 96, 97 this came out. It's going to be on BBC Four on Monday nights. And it just felt uh, really sort of exciting at the time. I'm interested to see how it looks now. It, a couple of people mentioned this was going to be on on Twitter and it it blew up with people like me and about, who are about 40, like really excited to watch it again. But it also made big stars of like Andrew Lincoln, Jack Davenport. So, yes, it's got a really good pedigree. So I, th- I think that's going to be worth watching. And what's your tip this week, Emma? Well, I will be watching that because I love Jack Davenport and I was slightly too late for it. So I'm looking forward to that. For me, though, it's all about The Stranger. This is a huge new Netflix series that dropped today. Massive star power. Rich Armitage is leading it up. Dervla Kerwin, Jennifer Saunders. Everywhere you look, there's famous people in it. Uh, and it's really pacey. This is Harlan Coben. You might know his novels, but you might also know Safe that was on Netflix, which was another brilliant, engaging drama. And what I love about it is it's dramatic, it's quick, it's pacey. So there's a guy who's going about his normal family life. This stranger comes up to him and drops a huge bombshell about his wife and his family. Uh, And his head's spinning. He's Googling things. He's trying to work out what on earth is happening. But instead of having to wait till episode eight for him to confront his wife, he does it in episode one. So there's no sort of hanging around. Lots goes on. Uh, And I can't wait to see where it goes. I've only seen episode one, but I loved it. Well, I think it's a good tip. I've watched a couple of episodes. I found the first episode a little bit too crazy for my probably slow brain to get my head around. But <laughs> I watched the second one and then it then it all becomes a bit clearer. There is, a, like you say, it's really fast. There's a lot happening. I think a lot of people who enjoy the sort of streaming style drama where there is a lot happening, they're going to love it. Brilliant. OK, a couple to watch there then, Jeffers. All we've got time for here on the podcast this week. This has been Series Linked in association with Paddy Power. If you've enjoyed it, then go on, do us a favour, leave us a five-star rating if you would. And if you give us a review, we would love you even more. 
if that was even possible. Uh, make sure you've subscribed as well, and then you can catch the next episode when it drops next Thursday morning. For now, though, bye bye. See you next week. Muddy knees. Media. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real with you for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better? You really can do it, but nobody is going to do it for you. Nobody is going to push you out of bed to work out. Nobody is going to make you eat better. But here's the thing. Nobody has to, because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. Two and a half million people, each doing the Beachbody program that fits our own goals. Over 80 to choose from, some that take just 20 minutes a day. Nutrition plans that teach you how to eat healthy and still enjoy food. What we all have in common is we know it's not easy, so we help each other. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. That's why I'm inviting you to try our amazing Beachbody fitness and nutrition programs. Let us help you succeed. Here's Al. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great.